15, what a joy it has been to cover the basics of the Bible in 2018. I've got to tell you that my goal when we started this was to help new believers to gain a foundation by which to build on and grow on with their doctrine. My goal was for those who've been going to church for a long time to fill in some of the knowledge cracks and uh, be uh, more firm and solid on what they believe and why they believe it. Most Christians don't know how to answer questions. And I hope this year you've been equipped with some things to help you better understand what you believe. And I've been in church a long, long time. Uh, You hear me talk about that quite a bit. Um, In my studying this year for this series, the Lord has filled in many cracks in my uh, knowledge in my game, and I feel like um, I know my, my, uh, what I believe and why I believe it a whole lot better. And so I hope it's been a blessing for you. Tonight we're going to uh, begin another uh, a section of teaching and, uh, and preaching, and we're going to look at another and very uh, key doctrine of the Bible, and we're going to look at the doctrine of God, God the Father, and we'll spend several weeks talking about various aspects of Him and, uh, and having hit who He is more accurately shaped in our own minds. If you don't know who God is and how he works and what his nature is, um, you kind of have a hard time living the Christian life because he is your father. He is your father. How can you really operate in life if you don't really know who your father is and what he wants out of you? And uh, there are those that get by, but um, it's tough. It's tough. You show me someone who's struggling through their adult life, and I'll show you someone who probably has a broken relationship with their dad. Uh, That's not true all the time, but oftentimes it is. If you're struggling through on your relationship with dad in heaven, if you're struggling with that relationship, you're probably going to be struggling through your Christian life. If you can get that down, who he is and what he wants out of you, boy, it really sets you on a, a course to propel forward for the Lord. So, I see this series of sermons that we're going to look at in the next several weeks is vital in helping to mold and shape our minds and hearts. The best thing you can do, we're going to stand and read the passage in a minute, but the best thing you can do is don't come into this being a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. Some of you here, you are reserved, task-oriented people, and you don't get an argument with you because you're a know-it-all. Don't do that. All right, come to it, uh, uh, the Bible with an open mind and a teachable spirit and allow God to show you some things about him that maybe you didn't know. And that doesn't matter if you've been saved for six months or if you've been saved for, for, for 40, 50 years. Let's keep an open mind to what God has for us. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 115. And we'll begin looking at the first nine verses here. We'll be looking at, ooh, there's the mic. All right, we'll be looking at the first nine verses to begin with, and then uh, we'll be looking at the whole chapter uh, throughout the sermon. Verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. 
O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So we're going to begin by looking at a, uh, a series of sermons here about theology. Theology, a study of God the Father. And tonight we'll focus in on his omnipotence. In a moment I'll give you the title of the sermon, but let's just leave that up there for a moment here. We're going to talk about his omnipotence. That word omnipotence, omni means all, and potence means power. He is all powerful, all powerful. We're going to talk about that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. May it uh, not only uh, uh, speak to us intellectually, but Lord, may it reach down and touch our hearts. And then Lord, even more important, may it reach down and change our lives. And Lord, I pray that we'd be affected on all three levels, the head, the heart, and then the way we live. And so, Lord, as we focus in on you, help us, God, to have a, pro- a proper understanding of who you are and what it is that you want for us. And, Lord, as we study tonight how powerful you are, may it encourage us, and then, Lord, also cause us to fear you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You ever get in those arguments when you were a little boy or a little girl at school about how much better your dad is than someone else's dad? You ever had that happen? Um, uh, I'd go to school and the kids would be like, my dad is faster than your dad or my dad is stronger than your dad. And I'd say, oh yeah, well my dad is fatter than your dad. And uh, none of them, nobody wanted to argue back with me about that one. I couldn't figure out why. But three boys were heading home from school one day when one started the time-honored game of paternal one-upmanship. The first boy said, my dad's way faster than any of yours. He can throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball from the pitcher's mound and then run over and pick up the, the bat and hit the ball before it even gets to the plate. That's pretty fast. You can pull that off. That's pretty fast. Well, the next boy said, oh, yeah, well, my dad can shoot an arrow from his bow and run to the target and hold up the target to make sure the arrow hits the bullseye. That's quite impressive. Well, the last boy, not to be outdone, he said, your dads don't even come close to being faster than mine. He said, my dad works for the government, and even though he works every day until 4 o'clock, he gets home by 3.30. That's impressive. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking closely at how awesome our Father God is. You can be able to look at any pagan, any heathen, anyone who doesn't hold to Christianity and say, my dad is better than your dad. Um. Many people, for one reason or another, they have a distorted view of God. There are those that view God as a harsh, grouchy old man who's just waiting to punish you. Um, Maybe you're here tonight and you view God as a tolerant Santa Claus who will let you have anything you want and let you get your way whenever you want. And he comes down and he says, have you been naughty or have you been nice? Well, I've been sort of nice. Okay, well, here are all of the blessings from heaven. You say, Pastor, I don't have that view of God. Well, you might want to check your prayer life. You find yourself asking amiss, as James 1 says that you can consume it upon your own lust? 
You know what James was saying? He's saying a bunch of you pray and don't get your way because when you pray, all you're doing is praying that your fleshly desires will be fulfilled and you can consume it on what you want. And uh, you know what that is? That's a tolerant Santa Claus attitude toward God. Um, maybe you view God as though he is nine one one. You 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 go around life and you're like, I got it. God, I got this. I got this. And then when you get to a place where you don't got it, excuse my grammar, but that's on purpose, you get to a place where you don't got it, you pick up the phone and you dial heaven. 1-800-HEAVEN. Oh, God, my hair's on fire. I need you right now. This is out of my control. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? We call that desperation praying. You ever see these school shootings? Tragic, tragic. And unfortunately, they happen way too often. But the... um, the, uh, the, the educational intellects, the social justice warriors, they are marching against praying in school. This is marching against it. And we don't need prayer in school. That might offend someone who doesn't believe in your God. And we can't have you bowing your head and praying in school. And I understand that not every school, I, I've got to say this every time because I, I don't want to get anybody's, uh, get anybody's feelings hurt here. Not every public school is against prayer. There are public schools that tolerate it and look the other way. There, I don't know of a public school that opens their classrooms with prayer. I don't know of any. I don't, if that were to happen and get reported, it would be immediately shut down. But there may be some schools in some parts of America that are more religious in nature and allow it or uh, uh, maybe even a rare case have it. But by and large, from the Supreme Court, prayer has been booted out of the school. I, I, that's... Not even uh, debatable, okay? But um, uh, these people who are against prayer in school, let a school shooting happen. Do you think any of those folks are going to walk up to the kids standing outside, holding hands and praying and say, you know, prayer has been banned from school? No, you know what we say? Our thoughts and prayers are with you during this time. No one's worried about whether or not a Muslim boy is offended when the school's getting shot up and everyone's praying to their God. Isn't that, hypocr- isn't that hypocritical that we only pray in a desperate time? But hold on there, because we're guilty of it too. By only going to God in prayer when things get, get, things get rough. Now you say, well, pastor, then should I not pray? If that's the only time I, I do pray, should I not pray? Then no, by all means, pray. When Peter was falling in the water, he looked up and he prayed a desperation prayer. He said, Lord, save me. And it worked, didn't it? <laughs> Jesus pulled him up and helped him walk back to the boat there in the water. But um, So pray in your desperate times, but don't just pray in desperate times. Some people treat Jesus or God as though he is 911. Maybe you think that God holds grudges. God holds grudges. That you've done something wrong and you've upset God and now God is not on speaking terms with you for a good long time because you blew it. You blew it. Can I confess? This is an area I've got to work on. Of all the ones I've given you so far, this is one I've got to work on. Satan's really good. He'll sit on this shoulder over here and he'll say, you know you want to do it. Boy, that, that fruit up there sure looks good. Take a bite. But whatever sin it is for me or you. And then after I've sunk in my teeth in the proverbial fruit, Satan likes to do this. He likes to hop shoulders 
and get them by other ear and say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You are awful. And you call yourself a Christian? God wants nothing to do with you. He is mad at you. Again, bad grammar. He is upset with you. He wants nothing to do with you. Boy, he's fuming and he can't wait to hit you over the head for what you just did. And then when it's my turn to pray, I think God doesn't want to hear from me. I messed up. I messed up. You know, that's a bad view of God. What's First John tell us? We confess, he forgives, right? That's simple. Now, you ought to feel bad about what you did, but don't ignore God. Maybe you're here and you have a distorted view of God and you think that he's harsh and grouchy and old and holds grudges or that he's angry all the time. He just walks around in a bad mood all the time waiting to send lightning out of the sky to strike the next guy or you may, uh, uh, you, you, uh, or that you must be perfect before he'll accept you. If I don't dot every Christian I and cross every Christian T and I don't walk the walk, I don't talk the talk, I don't read my Bible for an hour and I don't pray for an hour every day, then God is mad at me. He's upset with me. He's put out with me. And all oh, He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Maybe that's your view of God. Over the next few weeks, the goal is to allow the truths found in the Bible to properly shape who God is his powerful abilities, his passionate love, his purpose for chastening, and how you can better your relationship with him. Tonight, we turn our attention to God's omnipotence. And that, in simple terms, means that God is all ever powerful. Let's look at this message title tonight. Here it is, What God Does With His Power. What God Does With All That Power. Boy, he's got all the power in the world. What does he do with it? Well, Psalm 115 tells us exactly what he does with it. So we're going to look at this verse by verse tonight and go through it and better understand the 115th Psalm and what God does with all that power that he has. I propose that while God's power is placed in plain sight, you know what we do as Christians? We get used to it. It is a miracle that any baby is born. A miracle. How many of you dads are there to see your baby get born? I would ask how many moms are there, but, you know, you kind of had no choice, did you? You were there. Um, I talked to a boy a little while ago who was an atheist. His girlfriend was expecting. I gave him a lot to think about. Brother John was with me. I gave the boy a lot to think about. I gave him the gospel. You could see... He was being kicked in the proverbial mouth, conviction. And, um, and he was softening. And one of the last things I said to him is I said, are you going to be there when your girlfriend delivers that baby? And he said, yes. I said, I want you, when you watch that child be born, to hold, her in your, hold that child in your arms. And I want you at that moment to say, I don't believe there's a God. Good luck. Good luck. It's a miracle. We see... The evidences of God as Christians all around us, don't we? Isn't it a miracle that the sun rises and sets exactly one minute apart every day without fail? 60 seconds to the tick. That's the power of God. You know, the, uh, the plants, they grow. The seasons are always right there. You know what it does in October? The wind blows and the leaves fall off the trees. Every October. Every October. You know what it does in January in Connecticut? 
It snows. It's cold. You know what it does in July and August? It snows. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> feels that way. It gets hot. And we have all four seasons. In the spring, the birds fly back up, up north. In the, in, the, in the fall, they fly south. Fall, winter, they fly south. And everything happens like clockwork. And the powerful hand of God is everywhere for us to see. And God's power is right there. But you know what happens? We get used to it. And then we forget about it. And then we begin to make this mistake. We focus on our own strength or... We fret over the enemy's strength, and we forget about his strength. It's all around us, but we forget about it. And we focus on how strong I am and how I can get it done. Or we see the enemy, and we fret about how powerful the enemy is. We forget how big and strong our God is. Now, one of those reasons might be that there is a war going on around us. The war of good versus evil. Does anybody question that tonight? There's a war of good versus evil? Does it ever feel like to you that maybe Satan is winning that battle a little bit? You don't, you're not sure if Satan's winning the battle a little bit. Turn on your TV when you get home tonight. Just go channel by channel if you have one. And tell me Satan's not winning a little bit. Go to work tomorrow if you work in a secular workplace and just listen to the language of the people around you. Right, Mark? Sound like maybe Satan's winning the battle a little bit? Go to a hospital where children are dying with cancer. Does it look like Satan might be winning the battle a little bit? By the way, God's not responsible for that. Satan is. People shake their fist at God and say, God, how could you let this happen? God allowed Adam and Eve to have their own moral free will. And they were told, if you eat that fruit, you're going to bring death on mankind. You know what's going on in those children's hospitals with those children? Death on mankind. That's not God's fault. God didn't make Adam pick up the fruit. Adam picked it up on his own. God does not get the blame for man exercising his own moral free will and rebelling against God. God doesn't get the blame for that. Don't you shake your fist at God when something doesn't go right or when evil prevails. No, you look Satan in the eye. And if you want to hate someone, hate the devil. But don't hate God over something that Satan's responsible with or for. And we forget that God is bigger and stronger. And you say, well, pastor, if God's bigger and stronger, then why is Satan winning the battle? And the answer is this. God is allowing Satan to win the battle. But God will not allow Satan to win the war. Here's how this works. If God, at this very moment, wanted Satan to be obliterated and never exist again, he could snap his fingers or say the word and poof, he'd be gone. God has so much more power than Satan could ever dream of having, have, having that uh, while Satan might be winning the small little battle on earth, he will lose the war. And then the intellect would say, well, then why would he even allow the battle? Because God, and, and don't miss this, because this is where it gets personal. God wants you to choose him over evil. And one day, when he has allowed the last person to make that choice, he will shut it down. But God wants you to choose him over evil. And so he allows the battle to rage on with a hope that more of humanity will choose him than will choose against him. Now, we're going to take a look at a close look at Psalm 115 and see five observations about this topic, what God does with all that power. Let's jump in here tonight. Number one, the recognition of his power, the recognition of his power. Look back at Psalm 115 and verse number one. 
The Bible says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Why? Look here. For thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Now look at this. If you're underlining in your Bible, I would recommend you underline that last phrase, for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. How does that show that God is all-powerful? God has the perfect balance of when to show mercy and when to drop the hammer and show truth. He has all power to drop all of the mercy he wants, and he has all power to drop all of the truth that he wants. So God is powerful in that all of the mercy of the world is his, and all of the truth and justice of the world are his. And he strikes an all-powerful, perfect balance, the recognition of his power. Look down at verse number 3. Verse number 3. But our God is in the heavens... He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That just basically says our God is so power, powerful. If he wants to do it, he can do it. Doesn't matter what it is. God's sneeze is more powerful than the strongest man's uh, uh, biceps. He, he is just all powerful and he can do whatever he so pleases. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. You're blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. You know, one evidence of how powerful God is is that He can make everything from nothing. There's a sort of a joke in the uh, science world that goes something like this. Scientists came to God one day and said, We got it all figured out. We can now make man from the dust of the earth, and we don't need your help. We challenge you to a contest to see who can build the better human. And so God agreed to it. Again, this is not true. This is hypothetical. So they show up on the day of the, of the test, of the, of the contest, and the, God had his pile of dirt. And the scientists had their pile of dirt. And God said, okay, we're going to start, but one thing first, you must invent your own dirt. You must create your own dirt. You can't use the dirt that I created in this contest. Um, God created man from the dust of the earth with his hands. Can I just tell you this? He didn't need to use his hands. He chose to use his hands because he wanted it to be personal for us. All of the rest of it, he created with his words. Wow. A few months back, I went up with a college and career class to Vermont. There you are. Went up with the Vars to Vermont. I'm looking over here for you. You always sit over here. I should know that. And we got out in the field, and uh, all the lights were off at a campfire going, so that messed it up a little bit. But I looked up, and tens of thousands of stars. Just quiet. Maybe a cricket in the background. Woke up in the morning, and I walked out there uh, on the porch, sipping on my coffee and praying a little bit, and looked out, and there was this beautiful mountain. This beautiful mountain. And do you know that our creation, it's, it's tainted from the way it was before the, the, the flood? We're living in the second version of this planet. The first version was way more beautiful than this version is. And uh, the final version will be better than this one because God will come in the millennial kingdom, restore it, and it'll look way better than it, it does now. But we, we, have a, we have a run-down planet, and it still takes my breath away that God created all of this with just His words, with just His mouth. How powerful must you be to say, let there be light, and in this void of darkness comes light? How powerful must you be to say, I want there to be 
fish in the sea and birds in the air and tens of thousands of species of, of fishes are invented right there. And the birds in the air just appear and start to fly. Scientists can't figure out how a bird with its weight and its dimension is even able to fly. But God doesn't need the scientists to know because he's greater than they are. And he made it with his mouth. We serve an all-powerful God. And uh, the Bible tells us here in Psalm 115 that he made the heaven and the earth. Let me read some more verses for you here. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and were all the hosts of them by his breath, the breath of his mouth. Isaiah 44, 24, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee uh, from the womb, I am, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that searcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. And then we look at the power of God as it relates to our eternal salvation, which is a whole other miracle in itself that God could take a, a, a nasty, awful sinner that is hell-bound because of the way of their sin, and he could somehow wash away the sin off their record and give them an eternal righteous account and allow them into heaven. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before whom, uh, uh, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not uh, as though they were. God can come in and wipe your account clean in all your sins and lay his righteousness on your account. And wow, what an eternal miracle that is. Do you know a human being that can take away someone's sins? When I witness to a child, I talk to them about the importance of getting the sin off of their heart. Talk about how they fell into a mud hole of sin. All the lies they've told and all the, all the disobedience and bad attitude and disrespect. Their heart is covered in the mud of sin. And I say to them, uh, can you get your heart clean? If I were to put you in the bathtub and give you a bar of soap and you scrub real hard, could you take one sin off of your, uh, off of your heart? And they say, no. And I say, what if you swallowed the bar of soap? And I went down in there. Could that take the, no. And they laugh. That's silly. That couldn't happen. And I say, well, can your parents wash the sins off your heart? And they stop and think for a minute. I guess they can't. And I say, is there anybody that can do that? And then their eyes light up oftentimes and they say, God can. God can. You know why? Because he's all powerful. It's time we take just a moment and recognize the power of God. Number two, notice the ridicule of the heathen. The ridicule of the heathen. Go back to Psalm 115 with me and look at verse number two. The Bible says, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Where is now their God? You remember the sermon this morning with Lazarus? How that uh, Jesus delayed in his coming? And uh, he, he didn't show up on their time schedule. He showed up on his own time schedule. And Lazarus died. Remember this morning we talked about that? Many of you here know the story. Um, when he showed up, you know what the Jews said? Couldn't if he showed up, you know, a couple of days later? And, uh, and heal him before he died? Isn't this the guy that, you know, heals the blind and, 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 and helps the sick? Surely he could have helped Lazarus. Why didn't he come? What was he doing that was more important than this friend of his? They said to Mary and Martha, Hey, where is your God when it matters most? And you know, that's what the world is really good at. They look for those little times in our life where things aren't going just right. 
And they say, <laughs> yeah, you're faithful to church. You're faithful to talk about God. Boy, you're always posting about Him on the Internet. And uh, you're always reading your Bible in the break room. And you're always uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Spiritual. You never can go to the Christmas party. You always make an excuse every year. And you never go out drinking with us after work. And you're so uh, holy and righteous. And you're a holy roller. And here you are having a tough time. Where is your God now when you need Him most? Boy, they're really good at throwing stones at us, aren't they? You go to a family reunion and you're going through a tough time and you have family who looks for that opportunity to stick that jab in there and let you know. A coworker, a neighbor who's looking to just say to you, hey, where is your God when you need him most? And what they fail to understand is that God is powerful because he holds back his goodness and lets a problem happen to us with the intent of bettering us. But more of that in a minute. The, 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 the other verses in the Bible that support this, um, hold your place in Psalm 115 and turn back to Psalm 42. Look with me at Psalm 42, verse 3. Here we find a psalmist, I believe it's David here, heartbroken, going through a very difficult time in his life. Weeping, depressed, broken in, in many ways. And he says this in his prayer. He says, my tears have been my meat. They've run down my face and into my mouth. They're like meat in my mouth. My tears have been my meat day and night. While they, my enemies, the, the mockers, continually saying to me, where is thy God? Look down to verse 10. Psalm 42, 10. As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. I feel like I'm being jabbed with a sword. While they say daily unto me, hey, David, where is thy God? Where is thy God? David's saying, I can't go to the store to buy food. I can't walk down the road past my neighbor's house without someone ridiculing me and saying, David, you're in this hard time. You're in this rough place. David, where is your God? You claim he's all powerful. Where's his power now when you need him the most? And there's one thing that's for certain is that the heathen, those that don't believe in God, those that love to mock, those who want to shake their fist at God, either actually do it or with their lifestyle, when they get the chance to take a shot at your God, they're going to be right there and they're going to do it. The ridicule of the heathen. Uh, you know, it's okay to have someone ridicule you or rib you, give you a hard time about your faith when you don't really know them that well. But let a parent do it. Let a sibling do it. Let an in-law do it. Let someone who um, you've poured your life into do it. You're a school teacher here tonight. We've got several of them in the room. Let a student who you've poured your life into to help, let them call you and say, where's your God? Where's he at now? Let them mock you. Boy, that hurts. Number three, we see the reality of their gods. We're talking about the heathen here, the reality of their gods. Look at verse number four and... The psalmist is going to make it clear that, hey, you know what? They have gods too. And their gods are pretty weak. Their little idols are pretty weak. Look at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, <laughs> but they're not saying anything. They speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they. But they're not smelling anything. Verse 7, they have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them all are, are like unto them. Meaning they're powerless just like them. So is everyone 
that trusteth in them. Turn over to 1 Kings 18. Hold your spot there in Psalm 115. 1 Kings 18, if uh, you don't know where 1 Kings is, it's to the left of Psalm. So uh, just take a, a big chunk of pages and start flipping there. 1 Kings chapter 18 and uh, verse number 21. And we find the story of Elijah. Elijah there is... Uh, uh, gone into Ahab's palace, who is king of the ten northern tribes, and he's told Ahab, because of your wickedness and your idolatry, it will not rain, claiming a promise uh, uh, from God, it will not rain until I say so. If you're a young person here tonight, let me encourage you to sit up straight and tall for me. Sit up straight and tall for me and listen to the preaching. It's just as um, uh, just as applicable to you, just as helpful to you as it is the adults. So sit up for me and pay attention. That would be great. Um, but here we, he walked in and he said, it's not going to rain, claiming an old promise of, of, of past, until I say so. And he walks out of the palace, and at the time Ahab probably had no idea who Elijah was. So he laughed at him when he walked out, until about two weeks later when it hadn't rained. And then a month, and then six months passed, and still no rain. And then the manhunt for Elijah began. God hid Elijah in a couple different places. Here in 1 Kings 18, after three plus years, it still hadn't rained. Water had become a precious commodity. And Elijah comes walking onto the scene. And Ahab's not going to kill him because he needs him to pray the rain back. But here he comes back onto the scene. Look at verse number 21. Elijah here has challenged Ahab and his false prophets to basically a duel. And we're going to read about that duel right here. Not a gun duel, not, not a, 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 a gunslinger duel. A different type of duel. Look at verse 21 of 1 Kings 18. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, uh, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets, this is the, the false idol, are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your little g-gods, and I will call the name of the capital L, Lord, and the capital G, God, that answereth uh, by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. For ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullocks which, uh, bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and came uh, uh, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that he, Elijah began mock, he mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a, a god. He, either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is on a journey maybe. Or pre-adventure he, he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the, their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. These men believed in a false god. Beyond just believing in this piece of stone or gold or silver, 
that had eyes that couldn't see and a nose that couldn't smell and ears that couldn't hear, feet that couldn't walk, hands that couldn't handle, beyond the throat that couldn't uh, utter words, beyond just this stone that they bowed down to and worship, they also believed in ideology that was attached to it, a very sinful, wicked ideology that was attached to it, one that was that was uh, sensually loose and and, and and immorally wicked, and they had four hundred prophets that lived in the palace that led the people in worship of this stone. And so he, Elijah said to them, hey, maybe your, your God's on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. They couldn't do anything. You say, well, pastor, people don't bow down to idols today. And I'd say, go to the Catholic Church. I don't mean to pick on the Catholic Church. There's idols all over the Catholic Church. Go, go, over, to, uh, go over to a Hindu country. And look at how they're bowing down to a Hindu god. And you go to India and you ride down the road. I've been told this by many people who go to India. And we've got a couple of people here. You, you serve as a missionary in India, Brother Mark. Pastor David, you've been there. I've been told this by many people. But all over the place you've got these little shacks set up, set up and a, um, a little god in there. And they stop and they bow down and they worship these gods. And each one of these places is considered a temple. You know what they're doing? They're bowing down to a god that cannot help them. You say, well, pastor, the average person in the U.S. doesn't have some secret shrine at home they bow down to. But can I tell you this? They bow down to their car. They bow down to their house. They bow down to their status. They bow down to their popularity. They're worshiping a false idol that can't do anything for them. They want to mock you. They want to mock you. But these stones do nothing for them. Look at verse number 30 of 1 Kings 18. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And the people came near unto him, and he repaired, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This altar had been neglected. So first he took the time to repair it. And Elijah took twelve stones, according uh, uh, to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, and to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. So he digs this trench all around the altar and he put wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt surface and on the wood. He took their most precious commodity, water, that they had very little left of, and he had them dump four barrels of water all over this sacrifice, not only drenching the the the, um, the sacrifice, but now filling this trench with water below. Look at verse 34. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. The water ran around about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy son servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. That's the end of the prayer. He steps back and gets out of the way, in total faith believing. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Aren't you glad we serve an almighty, powerful God? 
1 Kings 18 gives us a perfect view of how powerless the gods of this world are, the little g-gods of this world are. And, and 1 Kings 18 shows us how powerful our God is. Number four, notice the reward for the godly. The reward for the godly. Go back to Psalm uh, chapter 115 with me. Look at verse number 9. Psalm 115, verse 9. Please look there in your Bibles with me. Look here, it says, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Shield. Verse 10. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 11. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Their shield. Letter A, uh, we see here uh, uh, the source of our uh, protection. The source of our protection. Um, look there, you notice that it says, O Israel, this was an announcement that God was the shield of their nation. A national shield. They didn't need ballistic defense missiles. They didn't need a high and tall wall back then. They didn't need Apache or Black Hawk helicopters like are made uh, around the corner here at Sikorsky. They didn't need that stuff. You know what they needed? They needed God to be their shield. Can I tell you, God's done a good job of protecting the nation Israel. When he removed his hand of protection, uh, it was on purpose and it was deliberate. But when he has had his hand of protection there, just go study the five-day war. Is that what it is? Five-day war, I believe? That Six-day war. You can tell I've studied it recently, right, amen? But I have read about it a long, long time ago. And see how that all these bizarre things happened. God was protecting his people. Um, then it says, O Aaron, in verse 10. So not only is he the shield of the nation, Aaron was the uh, head of the tribe of Levi, who were the leader of the, the religious leaders of the, of the country. Not only was he protector, a protector of the nation, he was a protector of the church. Protector of the church. Rather, he was their spiritual protection. And I'm going to bring the analogy here into this dispensation. Please understand that Psalm 115 is not talking about the church. I get that. Okay, some of you like to come up and tell me after church where I was wrong. And by the way, I don't mind that. If I mess up, please let me know because the word of God needs to be given and rightly divided. So when I mess up, please let me know. I take no offense to it. God's word reigns, not me. Amen. Uh, God's word's the king of the church. I'm no king and I'm definitely not the king here. Uh, but um, uh, uh, here, uh, the verse is talking about how that if they trusted in the Lord, he would be a shield, a religious shield around that country. I'm going to bring it into today and make an application, not an interpretation. But the application is this, is that when you trust God, when you fear God, he is the protection, I believe, for our church, for our church. He will protect us if we fear him and we trust in him. Now, how would you label our church a church that fears God? If one of us fears God and the rest of us doesn't, are we a church that fears God? Let's say there's 200 of us that actively attend here on a Sunday morning. If 50 of us fear God and 150 of us don't, are we a church that fears God? The point I'm getting at here is that if as a church we're going to fear God, you, you must do your part. You must fear God. Um, I was talking to my son a couple of weeks ago. My daughter as well. She says I don't mention her enough in church. So, there you go. I'm mentioning you. I'm looking at you. I'm talking about you. All right? You get your fill. Amen. 
I was talking to my children a while back, and they said, Dad, we love you. We enjoy you. We miss you when you're not around. But there's a certain way when you call our name, we are terrified of you. And he said, and Matthew told me this afternoon, he said, when you say my name a certain way, I begin to think to myself as I'm walking your direction, have I done anything wrong recently? Am I going to get it? Am I going to get lectured or am I going to get, you know, worse than that? You know why? He fears his father. He knows I love him. She knows I love her. But they fear their father. You need to fear God. God calls your name. You need to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth, the way Samuel did. There ought to be this reverence in your heart. There ought to be this reverence in your heart. Let me give you another way to know whether or not you fear God. Everybody make sure you're listening here. When someone takes God's name in vain around you, how does that make you feel? You just shrug your shoulders like, eh, whatever, happens all the time. Boy, you better never, ever, 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 ever get used to that. It ought to be fingers on a chalkboard. That is your God. Don't you let someone talk vain about your God. Boy, my body language changes. My, I become hostile a little bit in my attitude toward that person. And I have looked someone in the eye many times before and said, He sure is a good God. I sure hope you know how to talk positive about Him. I was stopped to get gas some time back when I was traveling, and I walked, was walking in the gas station, and this guy was on the phone, and he was using all kinds of profanity. And then he put the name of Jesus Christ right in the middle of his uh, profanity. And with him on the phone, and me walking, I looked him in the eye, and I said, I sure hope you know that man you're running down, he loves you, and he died on the cross for you, and I sure hope you can learn to respect how you talk to him. He got really quiet, he put his phone down, and he just stared at me. And I said, I mean it. And I walked in the store and I walked away. When I came out, he was gone. Can I tell you, my heart raced a little bit. That wasn't natural for me to do. It took me a long time to build up to being able to actually verbalize. Because I've thought it many times before. But if you fear God as a church member at White Oak Baptist Church, you ought to be able to stand up for Him when people are talking bad or talking vain or talking empty about your God. Do you fear Him? Do you fear Him? You see, when we fear Him, He is the source of our protection. He acts, as the Bible says, a help and a shield. A help and a shield. And listen, we can talk theory all day long about the Bible, but I love it when the Word of God is practical. I love it when it's simple. And i got to say, there are times in my life where I just need God to come alongside of me and be my help. Amen? When you fear Him, He is your help. When you fear him, he acts as a shield. And how about you as an individual? Look at verse 11. Ye that fear the Lord. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Fear God. Be afraid, yes, that he might chastise you and hurt you, but grow in your love for him to where it gets to the place where you are afraid that you will hurt God with your sin. What does God do with all that power? Well, for one, he uses it to protect us. Use it to protect us. Psalms talks about, the book of Psalms talks about how that he gives us his angels to watch over us. I believe there are, I do believe in the doctrine of guardian angels. I really do. I think there are angels that watch over us. How many of you here almost been in a nasty accident? You knew there was something divine that kept you from dying. 
or getting in a really, really bad, tragic uh, accident. Uh, how many of you here have ever uh, uh, left a situation, walked away from a situation, and, and you didn't know why you did it, and then you found out later that something really bad happened where you were? You know why? Because if you fear the Lord, you're doing your best to love the Lord, there is this shield and this protection around you. How many of you here have ever, and don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you here have ever felt like your marriage was in danger, and your marriage was heading for the rocks, and things were getting really bad, and all of a sudden, some divine presence came in and helped me that healing balm that put you back together. What you found is that while you struggled and while you maybe made some mistakes and while you you didn't know where things were going and what you were doing, you continued to fear and trust the Lord. And He was that help and shield around your marriage. What does God do with all that power? Does He use it to beat us over the head? Well, yes, the hand of the chastening hand of God is there. And it's ever powerful as much as necessary to bring us back in line. Always done with love. Always done with care. But what God ultimately does with that power is He protects us. He helps us. He provides us a shield. Let her be, notice, the source of our production. Look at Psalm 115, verse number 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. Let that sink in for a minute. The God who made the heavens and the earth with His voice, He is mindful of little old me and you. Wow. You know what I am? I'm nothing. I am nothing. I could take a sharpie and I could draw a line across this back wall. I won't do that. Don't you do it either. But I could draw, a, I take a sharpie, draw across this back wall, and put an arrow on both ends, and that line would represent God from eternity past to eternity future. And if I were to walk up to that line and take that sharpie and put a little tiny dot right there, that dot represents my life. God tonight in my sleep could take me home to heaven and flick me off the map. And you know what? In the grand scheme of things. Doesn't really matter. The Bible says that that all powerful God, who is that line going both directions, is mindful of you. Does that mean anything to you tonight? Look there. Look, look back at verse number 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. Not only does He know your name, not only does He know how many hairs are on your head. Uh, not only does he know every step you take, every thought you think, every tear he catches in a bottle, he blesses you. He blesses us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless uh, them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Verse 14, the Lord shall, here's that production, increase you more and more. You and your children. He will increase you. You Fear Him. You trust Him. He's going to increase you. God has a reservoir of all of the wealth and powerful power of the world. It cannot run dry. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in wealth. He is rich in grace. He is rich in comfort. He is rich in salvation. He is rich in glory. He is rich and powerful. And God uses His richness to increase us. But we must fear Him. We must fear Him. We must reverence Him. We must walk with Him. We must intimately get to know Him. We must, number five, the repetition of our praise, we must praise Him. We must praise Him. You know, I've got to say, I'm enjoying this new chorus book. 
And I think we've got a little uh, on. I think we've got a little ongoing, de- uh, uh, a non-spoken debate in church about this. I'm calling it the chorus book. How many of you notice that when Pastor Mike gets up, he's saying the choral book? You noticing that? I don't care if it's called the choral book or the chorus book. I'm going to call it the chorus book. You can call it the choral book if you want, whatever. But um, um, I'm really enjoying this book. Some of the songs in here, some of the songs in here really make me feel close to the Lord while I'm singing them. The song, Thou Art Worthy. Amen. The song we sang this morning, You Are My All in All, make me feel incredibly close to the Lord. You know, it's not good enough to just come to church on Sunday and sing these songs and forget about it the rest of the week. It needs to be repeated day after day after day. Hey, when you're on your way to work, can I encourage you, shut off Sean Hannity. He's slanted and biased anyway. Just shut him off and just sing to the Lord. Say, Pastor, I can't sing. Sing anyway. Just sing. Roll the windows up if it's that bad and let her fly. Sing to the Lord. It's all throughout the book of Psalm. Sing to the Lord. Let him hear it. Um, when you get up in the morning, get yourself a hymnal and read, read the hymns filled with doctrine. We're not going to get rid of the hymnal ever. But uh, read the hymns and, 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 and let that sink into your heart. And then sing that throughout the day. And praise our God for being all-powerful. Just praise Him. This week I, um, I had a lot of time on my hands. I left my phone behind and my computer behind. I got myself a little tiny phone that uh, had no internet access for my wife and I to be able to communicate and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and i got to tell you that I loved waking up in the morning. And my routine was I'd get myself a cup of coffee so I could have my caffeine and I could have the creation and I could worship the creator. Amen? You like how I alliterated that? I love to alliterate things. Um, and uh, and uh, I, before I would eat anything, before I'd do anything else, I'd sit down and I'd make out my prayer list, as I showed you all in church some time back. Remember I put the four-by-six looking card up on the screen? And I would always put seven, eight, or nine things down that were attributes of God. And I walked around the block in that little place I was staying in Alabama, and I would praise God for a good long time on just who he was. Um, I love my daughter, and I love when uh, she uh, interacts with me, she talks to me, she spends time with me. Maybe my favorite thing that April does is just come and curl up in my lap and snuggle. I love it. My seven-year-old daughter, I love it. I value that. And, and I hope that continues on for many years. The day is going to come where she snuggles in another man's lap and not mine when she gets married. But for now, I'm really enjoying that. You know what that praise time in our prayer is? It's you curling up in the lap of your Abba Father. And you say to him, you sure have big muscles. You created the heavens and the earth. And you didn't even need them. You measure the universe like that. Wow. God already knows these things about himself. He enjoys it when you praise him for it. You praise him for it. And it gives you perspective on the problems you have. They're really little compared to how big he is. Are you praising the Lord tonight? Are you praising him for how powerful he is? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. The doctrine of God the Father. What does God do with all that power? Well, he wants to protect us. 
wants to provide for us. He just asks that we fear him. Do you fear God tonight? Or do you just live your life how you want, watch what you want, wear what you want, go where you want, act how you want, and then have a consumerist attitude toward Christianity? Or are you devoted to God? Do you view God as though you fear him? Or is God just a tolerant Santa Claus to you? He sure loves you. He sure does love you. And I think he's worthy of our praise. I think he's worthy of us curling up in his lap and just loving on him a little bit. Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to, um, to honor you, to praise you. Help us, Lord, as we understand or at least begin to try to understand how powerful you are. And Lord, may we use that to our advantage by the way we live. Lord, I feel like tonight in some ways the sermon has sort of been shotgun style, just sprayed all over the place. Different things may have touched different people's hearts on different topics. But Lord, may we be reminded anew about who you are and what you want for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano plays. The altar's open don't know what the Lord would have spoken to you specifically about tonight, but where the Lord has moved in your heart, will you come and talk to him about that? Will you come and kneel and praise him for how powerful he is? Will you allow God anew to have that perspective in your mind and heart of how big and powerful our God is? Turn over to number 15 in that beige-colored book in front of you. Amen? Page number 15 there. You know, one thing that... Um, one, one, one short little thing I want to add is that... Do you know how much power it takes? How much of God's power it took for him to hold back and let Satan do to Job what Satan did to Job? It took a whole lot of restraint for God, who loved Job, to let that happen. Sometimes when pain comes in your life, you say, God, where's your power? It's right there. He's manifesting his power by holding himself back and letting something bad happen to you so that you can grow. You can become more like him. 
And so it's all about perspective. Amen. Revelation 4.11, thou art worthy, thou art worthy. Let's sing it together. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power, for thou hast created, hast This evening, and uh, let's praise God all week long. Let's remember to be repetitious in our praise. Brother Russo, if you would close us in prayer. It's a joy to be your pastor. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed.